Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you are listening from. Welcome to episode 26 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast, the number one Wakefield Trinity podcast worldwide. I'm your co-host, Jamie Robinson, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. Welcome, Dad. Thank you. Hello, and thank you for joining this week's podcast. This week, we go back to the 1980s, the 1990s again, and welcome another one of our heroes that progressed from the school and playing fields of Wakefield all the way to the Great Britain Test Arena. A great warm welcome to Gary Price. Thanks for the intro, gents. Yeah, looking forward to it very much. How are you, Price? What have you been up to recently, mate? Oh, you know, not too much. I'm uh, I'm struggling with my back at the moment, so I uh, I like I like to try and keep fit a little bit, but I'm I'm no good. I've got a, a trap nerve down my back and down one side of my leg, so I'm just limping about, pulling your face at the moment. Oh, uh, it's a shame we don't know two good physios who actually come on. <laughs> ain't it just? Yeah, ain't it just? Obviously. You just take stuff like that for granted when you're playing. You know, you you, you know when you walk away from the game, you you, you don't realise while you're there. You know what the kind of treatment you get. You know when you walk away from the game, and and then you you, you get some idea of you know how lucky you have been. Yeah. So mate, definitely. So um, obviously the current boys are, are travelling too well at the minute. Are you managing to catch much of the much of the games? Yeah, yeah, I've seen a couple. Uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, I saw the Wigan and the Cast games, which weren't great. You know, I, I mean, there were circumstances around that. You know, they had some injured players. Um, I think the thing with Wakefield this year, they need all the players on the pitch. You know, and they all need to perform at the same time. Um, you know, and that hasn't quite happened recently. So, but I'm sure we'll he'll turn it around. Totally agree. Totally agree. Right, Pricey. The first thing we ask everybody that comes on this podcast, you might have heard it yourself, but what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Wakefield Trinity? Wembley 79. Tell us more. Well, that's... Um, I started watching Wakefield about 1978, which would make me about nine or ten. You know, I mean, I mean, my, my dad was a big Wakefield fan and my granddad, you know, they, they were from Normington, you know, which is sort of steeped with history along with Wakefield. Um, so, yeah, I, he took me to the games. I started watching about 78 and I was lucky enough, you know, more or less in the first year or so to go to Wembley in 79. Me thinking at that age, Wakefield go every year, unfortunately, without being since. <laughs> Brilliant. Tell us about your early life, Gary. Obviously, I didn't meet you until you were about 17. Tell us about early life bringing up Thorns House School, terraces on the terraces at Bellevue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had, a, I, had a, I had a good early life. I had a good upbringing, you know, um, you know, two great parents. Uh, quite a bog standard upbringing, really. We moved from Normington to Wakefield. Uh, we lived in, you know, down Thorns. Um, you know, sort of all, all my life I lived down there as a, as a boy. Uh, yeah, as I say, my, my, my dad took me to the rugby more or less straight away, but I used to, I used to love playing, used to love watching, used to go out running with my dad when I was younger. So, you know, he had a massive influence on my career at that young age and, you know, my, my life in general. He did. I know you. I remember your dad, Howard. Yeah, he was always there by his side and never missed a game, did he? Yeah, I was lucky. You know, sometimes, you, you know, when you're a younger person, you don't see it that way. You see it as a bit of an injury sometimes, but it isn't, I can assure you. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of the guys, as I, as I, you know, I speak to them, my friends from years ago, 
you know, they probably weren't lucky enough to have parents who sort of cared for them or showed them the way as much as mine did. So, yeah, look, looking back, I was very fortunate. You know, my dad played a, played a sort of massive part in my career and life. Did your dad play, did your dad play at all? No, no. No, he's, uh, as he says, he's a lover. No. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. But tell us about, yeah, where did you learn your rugby then? Where did you start playing? Was it in the backyard? Or I know you played at Manor and Eastmore before your Shelson days. How, tell us about those early days. Um, well, I actually started playing when I was about seven. Um, I actually went up to East Marv and got on a coaching course with Dave Lamming. Right. And sort of Dave was the first coach I came across. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And then from there, um, I, went, I was lucky. I went to a Lawfield Lane school, you know, at the bottom of Westgate there. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a games teacher there called Peter Rod, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and he was just, you know, like a fantastic old school games teacher, the, the type which I'm not sure people have now. Um, you know, every school seemed to have one. Lawfield Lane had one, Outward had one, you know, all, all the big schools had one, Kettlethorpe had one. Um, and he was just so, Pete was just so enthusiastic about rugby league. Um, and every every year that Lawfield Lane had a rugby team, and that's when I, I really sort of fell in love with playing rugby league. I remember Peter Rod because he was uh, one of my dad's friends because my dad was involved with the schools as well. Big, yes. big fellow with a big ginger beard, wasn't he? That's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Peter, in a, a lot of ways, was sort of an, uh, ahead of his times um, because he was a math teacher. And, I mean, going back now to the early 80s, he, he sort of left being a teacher and went to... He, he got on, He found this new Fandle thing in the 80s called a computer. I told him it had never catch on, but it does. And he went off... His career sort of went in a different path and Peter sort of got involved in all that. Uh, but it, it was a... I mean, it, it was a great teacher. You know, it was so supportive at the time. And I still see a lot of the lads, you know, from the old Lawfield Lane team. You know, I still see them knocking around some of the Wakefield games, you know, just someone I'm just uh, walking around. Uh, so it's fantastic. You know, one thing sport does, it gives you friends for life. You know, you meet people and you, you're friends for the rest of your life with them. So, yeah, it's fantastic. It was fantastic. Good stuff. Wonderful. Um, is it, am I correct in saying that Trevor Bailey was a, an influence in your life as well when you went to Charleston? Oh, massively. Yeah. I mean... Trevor was sort of the first um, professional coach I came across who, who really sort of dragged me up by the shoestrings. I mean, I mean, Trevor was, in a lot of ways, Trevor was ahead of his time. You know, he um, he saw things what other people or other coaches at that time didn't see. I mean, his his attitude to the game and the and the way he saw things. He, I mean, he was very much influenced by what was what was happening in Australia, which sort of set him apart. Um, but he was a fantastic coach. Um, and it, it was, it, you got fantastic guidance from Trevor. You know, you, I mean, you, we had great times off the pitch, and we, as long as you had great times on the pitch, Trevor were brilliant. And, you know, I'll be forever in debt to Trevor Bailey. He did. And we had some wonderful times as well. He obviously, he won all those trophies with yeah. uh, just a couple of years before we both joined. Um, mm. But yeah, you, you, there's a, there's a, you look on Facebook, and there's a full team of his past boys on Facebook who all speaks high, very highly of him. Yeah, I, th- I think that, I think they do. I think I think Trevor tried. We're one of the guys who tried to treat the the lads as equals. You know, he he, he didn't talk down or look down at anybody. Yeah, you know, regardless of ability or size or age. Um, you know, he was just a you know sort of a great individual, really. Yeah, really good. Even to this day, Gary, Charleston Rovers is one of these clubs that still brings through a lot of good rugby league players. What is it about that club in general that just, just keep breeds this this newfound confidence in, in, in young players? 
Yeah, I think some areas seem to have that, don't they? They seem to catch the imagination of the public, really. And throughout generations, uh, Jamie, some, some some clubs, some areas just seem to attract players and, and bring players through. I, I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if it's the DNA, but I mean, you know, it's just one of them things where Charleston for years and years brought through, I mean, some obviously some great Wakefield players, you know, some legends, not just Wakefield players, but legends of the game. So, you know, I'm, I'm just very lucky to be part of that, really, and, and part of the Charleston culture. Were the scouts out early for you? Obviously, you were signed at a young age, but were there, were there a lot of teams out looking at you from a young age? It was, it was strange, really. And, I mean, some of us older listeners might remember, I, I got caught right in the middle of the, the um, teacher strike in the mid-'80s. You know, and there was, there was kind of none of this um, sort of political correctness then. The teacher strike of the mid-'80s were kind of used to turn up at school. And, then, I mean, I went to school at Thorns Park. You know, we were in the middle of a public park, and all they used to do was give you a little slip saying that, you know, you got sent home because there were no lessons for you that day. I mean, if you kept your slip, you never had to go to school, which I must admit I didn't know a lot of the, the final year. Uh, so how that impacted me rugby was normally we used to play sort of in, um, intercity or intertown games. Um, but that couldn't happen because of the strike. So what in essence we did, we all just went to a massive trial. And yeah, as soon as you got to that trial, all the scouts were there. So by the time you were 15 and 16, there were, there were loads of scouts, you know, looking for you because that's the only place they could see the schoolboys other than the amateur game. Were it always going to be Wakefield for you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, I, were, I was tempted by uh, Leeds. Um, you know, the, the thing what... <laughs> yeah, this, this might come as a bit of a surprise, but the thing what put me off Leeds were the Abigans. You know, I mean, Abby Jepson, who in later life I became a, a, a great friend of, um, he came to me, I was put a contract on the table, he says, ask me where the, or ask me dad where the closest pub was, which were the Queen's Arms, and he says, right, I'm going to have a couple of pints, I'm going to come back and pick the contract up, he says, and I'll, I'll see you at Leeds, so he went for his couple of pints, he come back, and as he walked in the door, my dad just gave him his, his unsigned contract back. And that was it. But I, I was tempted to go to St. Helens, you know, but St. Helens weren't the, obviously St. Helens weren't the first then they were. And at that day and age, moving across the Pennines was, um, you, you know, not unheard of, but, it, you know, it, it wasn't something what people did readily. So, yeah, yeah, Wakefield, I, I didn't quite fancy cast, you know, um, yeah, Wakefield, Featherston. Featherston was sort of, if I hadn't gone to Wakefield, I probably would have gone to Featherston because they, they, Featherston's just such a, a good club. So who came to your house from Trinity to put a contract in front of you? Um, Nigel Scott. Did he? Scotty? Nigel yeah. Scott and Duncan Farrer. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, we, had, we had a couple of meetings um, with them and we sort of ironed out sort of, um, you know, all the financial details. You know, and I, I was very pleased with the contract. I mean, I mean to be fair to Wakefield, they, they didn't sort of hold back. Um, you know, at that time, I kind of told them the figures what I were being offered and they came back, you know, we were, which were, so it wasn't the most I'd been offered, but it certainly wasn't the less. So as soon as Wakefield come back and I know they were serious then, um, there was probably only one club I was going to sign for then. Yeah, it was good money as well. I remember I've got, sort of done my research again. I barely remember from the time, um, but uh, it was uh, obviously big money at that time uh, for, for a 17-year-old. For a Did you sign on your 17th birthday? Well, you just, know, yeah. a, a little bit before then. Yeah, yeah so I signed, I signed, 17th birthday, yeah. Yeah, I signed away before then, but like sort of an interesting story is when I did sign, 
the 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 day I did sign, it got announced. I went to training, um, and the first sort of person I kind of dropped on was Johnny Thompson. <laughs> and it, it was in, I sort of walked into the clubhouse, you know, to walk down to the stairs to get changed, and Johnny sort of, you know, sort of said, "Right, come over here, young man." So I I, I went over. I says, "Yeah." He says, um, "He says, do you see that stand?" And he, he's looking at the you know the old long stand. He says, "They're the back to sell that to buy you." He says, "So you better be some good." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Johnny left me, you know, in, in no two ways what he was thinking about it. So oh, yeah. yeah, and it was, if I remember rightly, it was a record for a junior, and I also think it was a record signing for any player at Trinity back in uh, in the eighties. Did did the price tag weigh heavy around your shoulders, or did you just it was nothing to do with you and you got on with it? Uh, I, I don't really remember it, Wayne Abbey. Um, I mean, the, the problem at that time, Wakefield just weren't a very good team. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, it's the, the times weren't great. They seemed to go through coaches to a year. With all due respect to the players who were there at the time, they weren't very good. Um, they had all on sort of looking after themselves, never mind looking after, you know, young fellas in the team. Mm. Um, and it wasn't really until sort of uh, David got involved you know, and you could see the club progressing and they brought the players in who, who you know, could look after you. It, it's so important as a young player to have role models in your team. You know, and it's so important to have players who can, you know, look after the younger players when need be. You know, um, show them the, way, the, the right things and, you know, the incorrect things. They've got to, they must point them out as well, you know, what they do. So, yeah, it, it is, you know, at, at that time, it, Wakefield weren't a great club, I've got to be honest. Wakefield weren't a great club when I signed and, you know, there were, there were a few times when I just went home and I thought to myself, Jesus, you know, the, without being too disrespectful, they, were, they weren't much better than a, a good amateur team. Let, let's put it that way. But, I mean, things did change. Yeah, well, yeah. we were in the second division, weren't we? Uh, yeah, we weren't even a great team in the second division, the old yeah. second division. You know, we, we sort of got promotion a couple of times. Um, you know, but that's what it was. You know, when you sign for a club like Wakefield, you've got to understand that it, it's never going to be all sunshine and, you know, you have to have the good times and the bad times. You, you've got to battle your way through and hopefully something will come through it, which it does in the end. Yeah. Just looking back at that, do you ever remember Tim Sheen's coming to Trinity? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that, that happened in the week you signed on, give or take a few weeks. Yeah. Did you yeah. come across him at all? I did, yeah. I, uh, I, I very nearly went back to Canberra with him. Oh, wow. Um, we were, we were going to go because at that time they used to have a system in Australia, didn't they? Like a draft system. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to go back, and, and things just didn't quite work out. But I, when I went over to Australia in later life, I met Tim two or three times. You know, when I was over in Australia, and you know, we had chats of you know just about how things happened at Wakefield and how things were going. I think he was up at North Queensland at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's. I mean, I mean, what a, what a, what a coach. I mean, he, he came for I think it was a ten week period. And uh, as soon as he walked on the training, put he must have thought, Jesus, where the hell have I come here? You know, mm-hmm. but it, you know that's obviously what they were bringing him over for. So I mean, that was that was part of his dreaming. So yeah, yeah. I mean, Tim, Tim was a terrific coach. He still is a terrific coach. You know. What types of things did he do if he came in kind of like a consultancy role? Um, well, I think <laughs> I think Tim had a, <laughs> a good old ten weeks at Wakefield in his consultancy role socially. I know he learned plenty while he was here. Um, but it, it must have been hard for him because he, I mean he was I mean you look at the Canberra team at that time with the Lobby Dailies and you know all these type of players you know, you know the Glenn Lazarus the, the Stewarts the, the Walters I mean he, he was he was coaching the best players in the world 
you know, and, it, and it's come to Wakefield and everything was different about it. The, the, you know, it was a totally different scenario. So he, I think he, he was just there to put things in place. Jamie, I think he was just there to sort of say to the committee, I think we should do this, we should, should do that. He, he had a good look at the club. Um, and I, I know when he left, I think he gave him a bit of a report of how they should move forwards with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, he's, I mean, he's such a, a well-versed rugby league man. I mean, he's fantastic. I mean, he's up there with the best coaches of all time, isn't he? And he's still going to be at the West Tigers as well. Is there? Is there consultant as well at the minute? He is. Yeah, um, I actually watched. The, I mean, they had a win. They they've been struggling a bit this year, the West Tigers. Um, and I watched him um, the one at the weekend. It, 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 that was a great match, and I think Jackson Jackson Hastings kicked a 35, 40 meter field goal to win. So yeah, so I'm, I'm sure. He's, he's happy about that, and I'm sure Michael Maguire is as well. Definitely, so mate. Back to you. We talked. We talked about the uh, the second division, mate. That's where you made your first grade debut, a 14-12 win against Sheffield Eagles. What do you yeah. remember about it? Um, I, I remember going to the dog track at Sheffield. I'd, I'd never quite seen anything sort of like it. I'd, I'd never played rugby in the middle of a dog track. Um, you know, as I say, it was hard back in those days. I mean, I remember Gary Edmonton being involved at Sheffield. Um, and I, I mean, your, your debut just seems to fly by. Um, I remember we won it a close game. I, I couldn't have told you the score with one Jamie, but I know we won a close game. Um, and I remember, I think, getting dropped the week after. So <laughs> can't be that good or something like that. But yeah, yeah it was OK. It, it was nice just to get it out of the way. Once you get your debut out of the way, you can relax. And hopefully, you know, sort of move forward with a little bit. Were you a young lad who used to carry injuries, or did you come through younger ages quite, quite unscathed? I was okay. I've, I've been sort of fortunate. Um, you know, I've, I've had my fair share, but I've, you know, you look at some players. This, unfortunately, they seem to be, you know, very injury prone. And I, I never really had anything, you know, what were going to keep me out years. You know, so yeah, yeah, I had, you know, everyone else has the ankles, the knees, a lot of. I seem to have a lot of broken bones when I was younger. I seem to break a lot of bones in my fingers, uh, my arms, my shoulder, uh, my collarbone. I seem to break bones like that. And I don't know if that's all part of, you know, just being, you know, you, you may be, your body's not mature, you might be able to help us on that one. But I don't know. But other than that, I want too bad. Superb stuff. So then, kind of spanning over to your, your first full season and a half, three big names kind of come into your playing career in Steve Ellen, Mark Graham and Ray Price, mate. Tell us what, what effect they had on you and your game. Um, oh, I mean, Steve Bella, what a player. I mean, Steve Bella scored a try at, um, at all oh. the Bolivar. And I reckon it's the best try I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen a guy run a slow for so long and beat as many men. It, I mean, Zip Zip was just one of these guys. I mean, I think his nickname was something like Perpetual Motion or something like that. And he never seemed to run fast, but he was just cruising and... He got the ball, he showed the dummy, he showed it inside, he showed it outside. And all I remember is all the old players just kept taking the dummy. I mean, he, he just went past the full back and he showed another couple of dummies and scored. And I think we, we actually won that game at the Boulevard. And I've just never, ever seen anybody do that on a rugby pitch. I just thought Steve would bully him. I know he's at the back end of his career and he maybe lost a bit of that zip. But I mean, he was just fantastic. Steve Ella was just such a good player and so skillful. Sorry about Matt Graham. You play alongside him? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, I've never seen anybody smoke in the changing rooms. That's the first time I'd seen that. Yeah. Um, you know, used to finish game light up, half-time light up, afterwards light up. But, I mean, what I mean, what a player. I mean, 
I don't think the Wakefield public saw the best of Mark Graham. Um, he sort of come over with Brent Todd, and I mean, Brent Todd was a captain. I mean, in, in his national great. I don't think we saw the best of him. Yeah. Um, I, I've got to say, I was not disappointed in them both, but I wasn't surprised when they both went back. Mm. And to be honest, I, I wasn't overly bothered because they, they, they both sort of stopped affecting games by then. And they, they weren't happy, the club weren't happy. So the best thing was for them two for him to go back. Exactly, yeah. We won our first five, didn't we? Or five, six. Um, yeah. and then we lost about a dozen on the trot. That's um, right, right till Christmas. Yeah. yeah, that's where they yeah. went home. And then with that, there was that special day when we played Featherstone on Boxing Day. And basically, everybody had gone home. And we had a full team of Englishmen. I can't remember, I think you were there, along with James Lowley and Steve Ella. Yeah, and that's they, right. They were virtually all Wakefield men as well, as well as the Englishmen. And we yeah. beat Featherstone. And it, it, that was one of my highlights back in the day. Yeah, that sort of turned the, se uh, the, uh, the season around again, didn't it? Like thinking yeah. back. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it's strange, really, how, how things happen like that. You know, we were sort of written off by them. They'd all decided to go back for whatever reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that season was such a great finish to the season, you know, and um, yeah, to win all the games at the back end of the season and stay up were fantastic. It was. We were called the team that wouldn't die. Because I think we had to win <laughs> six of our last eight to stay up, and we did. Yeah, yeah. well, at that time, we were sponsored by Rooftop Gardens, and, <laughs> and Raymond used to own Rooftop Gardens, and, and I was one of his best customers back in the day. No, he didn't, you know, he never used to grasp me up, but one of his finest customers. Um, and it, 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 it gives the players a load of money to stay up. He says, right, I'm going to promise you this, I'm going to do this, do that, and if you stay up, and he said it thinking, I think he said it as not thinking we're not going to stay up. And anyway, the last game of the season, we won and we stayed up. And he brought it in a big bag. And he, he wanted to just throw it on the table in the middle of the room and let, you know, lads grab it. And Topo stopped him. And he's saying, listen, you'll not get out of there alive with Billy Conway and Johnny Thompson. He says, do not take a bag of money into that room. He says, give it here. And they put it away and divided it all up later. There were not a chance Topo were going to let him near Billy Conway. Billy had had his hands off. 100% Billy had just had his hands off. Brilliant. Well, the next season, Ray Price came along, mate, and that's to me, from a from my point of view, your game went up a level. You played thirty games by side, and you ended up being an international at the end of the season. What sort of player were Ray Price to play alongside? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but sort of mixed emotions about Ray as a as a player and as a guy. Um, I didn't really like him as a guy, but he, he wasn't here to make friends. You know, it, it was here. I mean, he'd, he'd been retired for two or three years from Parramatta in Australia when he uh, when he came over. Um, he weren't, I'm going to say, he weren't the nicest guy in the world, but as I say, he wasn't here to come over that way. But I mean, what a true professional. What a, I mean, what a great player. I mean, and he was kind of an inspiration, wasn't he? I mean, he, he, he sort of showed everyone the way forward. Um, you know, Sort of magical skills of recovery, as you can probably tell us, you know, sort of, you'll know more than me. I mean, to get carried off two weeks and to get back on pitch week after, wow, Superman qualities. He was. I guess. And some of those injuries, he had injuries where he had bones and tendons coming out of his fingers and he played, the, he had a surgery and went back on the next week. I'd, I'd never seen it as a young physio either. Yeah, he's, I mean, his attitude to the game, I mean, you, you know why he was a great, you know, when, when it, even at, it was quite old when he came to Wakefield. Yeah. You know, um, he would, he would, I mean, it's a legend of the game, mate, but I think he, I mean, he's still, I mean, unfortunately now, I think he's struggling, I think, with dementia now, mm -hmm. unfortunately. I, I saw a picture of him the other week, which is very sad. Uh, but it doesn't surprise you. 
you know, the way he used to throw himself about with all the disregard for his body. Well, he had no regard for his body whatsoever. No, not at all. At this stage of your career, mate, you, you were only you were still only 1920, but you've got quite a selection of representative honours behind you. England schools on the 16s, Yorkshire Colts, Great Britain Colts, Great Britain on the 21s. Are there any standout memories from these early internationals? Yeah, how dare the French were. <laughs> you, you come at, you know, as a, as a young guy, I mean, you know, you, obviously you're playing a, a physical contact sport. You, you, you're playing a game what cuts up sometimes, especially back in the 80s. You know, you... But you go over to France and it, it just goes to a different level than, you know, the, the, the take no prisoners. But I've got to say, my, my abiding memories, I loved all that. You know, I, I came I came across, um, I mean, the English school team I played with, I mean, Dennis Betts played there, uh, Mike Falshaw, um, Ian Gilder, of course, who sums over at West Tigers now. Um, I mean, there's some good players in that team. Um, I mean, and when you get you get to the Colts, the academy, whatever, you know, sort of Clarkie came in the mix and players like that. So, you know, they, I mean, they were, I mean, you're talking about some of the great players of the modern game. So, yeah, very lucky to play with them. You know, this, you know, I, I can count, I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I think I can still count quite a lot of them as good friends. They seem to follow you through as well. You, like you say, your schools, your Colts, your under-21s, Betts, Gildart, yeah. Lucas, Dermot, all those sort of players. They all followed you through and you all were all teammates together uh, all the way through. Yeah, it's, I mean that's just how it works sometimes, isn't it? I mean, um, I mean Lucas had a bad injury; he had to he had to finish earlier. Dermot, I mean, played all them times for Wigan. I mean, I mean at that time Wigan was so far ahead of everybody else. I mean, on the pitch, off the pitch, and everything—they were just fantastic. I mean, I don't think you know our league set up now. There'll never be one team who can dominate it how Wigan did back in the eighties, stroke early nineties, but. What a team! I mean, I mean, there was, I mean, that's the, probably the reason why a lot of players didn't go to Wembley because if you forgot John against Wigan, you know, it would just unlucky. Just wait till next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, With these honours at such a young age, Pricey, did you look at yourself as a bit of a leader in the in the dressing room at Wakefield? No, not really. No, not really. I mean, <laughs> some characters in the Wakefield dressing room at that time, you know. Um, one, one thing for Charlotte Wakefield, you, you could never ever take yourself too seriously. <laughs> you know, the you know, you look at JT, uh, Belly, uh, <laughs> Billy Conway, Andy Kelly. You know, th- them kind of guys that never ever let yourself take so, too seriously. You, I mean, you, you did your bit on the on the pitch. You know, you, you tried to do your best and sort of lead the team. But wow, some characters off the pitch. You know, uh, yeah. Did that come from the top down? Obviously, with Topo being the head man at that time as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dave's. I mean, I mean, Dave. Were, um, what he did for the club was fantastic when he came back. Um, I mean, the, I mean, I spoke about this briefly a couple of weeks ago. I mean, the deal what he did with Leeds. You know, when Gary went to Leeds, Gary Spencer and Johnny Lyons, and he brought the, the you know, the four guys back the other way. That's the sort. That, that's the kind of deals which just don't happen anymore now. You know, that's probably one of the best deals Wakefield's ever done. You know, they brought four top quality players back who were just fantastic players. Um, and that sort of set Wakefield forward. Not only did he get a promotion, but he kept that they were the benchmark for the quality of the players, which kept us in the in the first division then. So I mean, I mean Topo knew his stuff. I mean, I, I didn't always, I mean, as Lee can tell here, I didn't always see uh, eye to eye with David, and, and that would probably me just being, you know, a bit arsey when I was when I was younger, really. You know, 
David's one of them players as I got as I got older and I met him as I got older that you know you you, you realise what he knew about the game, you know, but his intensity was probably a little bit too much for me when I was young uh, or younger, I should say. And you know, it, it, I mean, it, it was just a good guy, David. You know what I mean? He, he knew his stuff. <clears throat> Found that quite interesting, actually, Price. In terms of the intensity, was it you'd just rather have done things your way, or you just didn't like kind of that type of scheduling within that? No, it, it, all he could do is talk about rugby. That's all it was. You know, you couldn't talk to him about anything else. You know, that, that's all they wanted to talk about. You know, you, you never had any. You know, I, I don't. You know, for the first probably five six years, I know him. I never had a conversation with him, with him other than when he's telling me I was getting sus- suspended or fine. That's the only time. I had a conversation other than talking about rugby. <laughs> That's just how it was, Dave. Everything evolved around rugby. I will say one thing about him. Dave Topless is the best guy I've ever met for judging a rugby player. Now, in his later life, he went, I know he went off with hours doing some stuff and looking for younger players. I tell you what, he can pick a player. He, he knew his players and he was fantastic at that. That were that were one of his skills. He could, he could look at, you know, you look at a young player, you look at an amateur player, whatever, and he, he could yeah, we'll have him, we'll don't want him, and he'll give the reasons why, and nine times out of ten, he was right. I mean, I've grown up around it with my dad telling me stories and everything as well, and, and talking to you guys at the game, but the early yeah. 90s Wakefield team like, seemed like a, a set of best mates, essentially, and then you played rugby on the weekend occasionally as well. Does that seem like the case? <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, probably, probably true a little bit. Yeah, of course, back in the day, there were the Graziers, which has gone now. And that was that was a big topo, um, a big Dave Topos favourite. Love the Graziers, him and Tiger. Who were, Tony Amford, who were Dave's assistant. Love the Graziers. Ian Brooke, Dave Romless, they all love the Graziers. So, in essence, you know, on a, on a Friday evening after training, um, I mean, I, this happened to me a couple of times. I kind of, you know, if I wanted to, I could sit in the graziers and have four or five pints with David on a Friday night and nothing happened. If I went into town and got spotted, I was in trouble. So I couldn't quite work that out. I, I didn't know how that worked. So if I went into town and I got grassed up, which never totally I did, I'm in trouble. But yeah, I could sit in the graziers and drink four or five pints with him and that was fine. You know, so I never really worked that out with Top, but it, oh, that, was, that was just one of his rules. Again, going back to Topo again, it, it, the contacts he had in the game were unbelievable as well. Obviously, yeah. you talk about his skills in the game. When Tim Sheens came over, it was his friendship that brought him over because I think they played at Penrith Panthers together. And I, I remember being on the bus once. We played Wigan away and you were there at the same time. And we had James Lowell and Nocker Norton in our squad. And he's like, where did these come from? All contacts from Topo again. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, Jimmy Lowell, I mean, what a player he was. I mean, obviously, I mean, he sort of played at the back end at Wayfield, but you could never, ever knock his commitment. And I've got to say, Steve Norton's probably one of the most skillful players uh, and one of the most colourful characters I've ever met. I mean, he's such a funny guy. Knock, everyone's got a knock a tail, you know, if, if not two or three or four. But, wow, well, yeah. But, not, I mean, knocker were brilliant. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. As, as he got a little bit older... You know, he used to like a drink and what have you, but I mean, don't ever, I mean, this, this is the thing with David, don't ever forget how good a players they were. Steve Norton and David Topless. I mean, you, you look at them now and they they rival any Australian player, any standoff, any loose forward. Um, and it, you know, you can have all you want. So that that is the class of player what we're looking at now. I mean, David Topless was as good as anything in Australia when he was at Penrith. Knocker was as good as anybody when he was at Manly, you know, and... You know, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at the time they were sort of world stars. They were that good. 
Absolutely. Uh, Brilliant stuff. Going back to you, mate, the, the 1990, um, after uh, Ray Price had gone home and we'd had that sort of good season, you got picked for Great Britain and that uh, new tour to Papua New Guinea and New Zealand. What yeah. a feeling that must have been. Yeah, um, yeah, probably at that time, I was probably a little bit lucky, but as we sort of alluded to earlier, I mean, Mal Malcolm sort of was in charge of the, the teams at that time and um, it, it was sort of a good... How Malcolm used to do it, he used to come from the schoolboys, he went to the academy to the 21s, and he used to use that as a system for the for the full uh, for the full squad. So if you you know gone well in the Colts and the 21s, you automatically you got promoted. So you know that's that's kind of how it happened. And you had some great players. I'm just looking at the squad. You know, you had Dennis Betts again, you had Phil Clark, Jonathan Davis, Martin Dermott, Derek Fox, Bobby Goulding, Mike Gregory. The list goes on all the way down to Gary Schofield. Yeah. You know, what a, what a tour that must have been for a young... How old were you? Were you still 20, 21? 20, 21. Yeah, but a lot of them lads were the same age as me. You know, yes, we, we, you, yeah. know we, you know, I spent sort of a, a lot of time... Uh, I spent a lot of time with Clark. And we, uh, we roomed together for quite a while, myself and Phil. And I've got to say, we didn't get off to sort of the greatest start together. But we, but it's like a lot of you spend a bit of time with someone, you get to know the real them, um, and you know we've become sort of friends for we've been friends for a long time now, and uh, yeah, yeah. We, I, I mean, I had a terrific time. I mean, that was that was a tour where there, there didn't seem to be any egos, you know. So everything went well, and there was winning on the pitch as well. And a winning tour is always an happy tour. A losing tour, a lot of the time isn't. Um, so yeah, it, it was good. I mean, it, it was brilliant, obviously. Did you get near the test squad, or were you always a, a midweek am an egger? No, I, uh, I I didn't play a test. Now I'm a little bit put out about that because I always thought that when I set off, I was sort of the last person to be picked. So I started off as subbing for the for the midweek team, and I played a couple of games in Papua New Guinea, and I thought I'd played really well. And I'm, I'm thinking I don't seem to be getting any closer to this team. Anyway, mm -hmm. the. They lost a, a test match and we, we played a couple of games in New Zealand. And I actually broke my hand the first game in New Zealand. Uh, they were going to send me home. Um, it's, it's just like everything. When you, whenever you play or you used to play on these tours, you could just forget about rugby for the first 10 minutes. You're going to be a scrap. And that's it. That's just how it was. You know, they used to kick off. Whoever used to kick off, they were a scrap. And, you know, inevitably they kick off to you, whoever took ball in. You know, you might as well just put it on floor and that would be it for you know, sort of 10 minutes. You know, and, and then as soon as that got out of everyone's system, everyone started sort of thinking about rugby then. And um, sort of kicked off to us, a fight started. And I mean, that was never my forte kind of thing. I thought, right, I'm going to smack closest person, smack somebody and broke my hand. I thought, brilliant, nice one, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. So I nearly got sent home after that game, you know, because we broke it hand. But I was lucky that they managed to put a cast on it and I managed to stay. And I actually got called... For the last couple of tests, I got called sort of into the squad where it were we were just waiting on a couple of injuries, but nobody seemed to get injured. You know the, you know if you look at the test team, everyone seemed to get, everyone were fit. And as I say, it's amazing. And on us uh, when you go on tour, if you're winning, everyone always seems to be fit. If you're losing, you just seem to go through countless players. And yeah, I, I was a little bit miffed at the end. I answered, I thought I probably deserved to to probably play at the end. You know, but we, nobody just got injured. And you were winning every week, and that's just how it is. I, would, I guess I just missed out because I was lucky. You want to be next question about roommate? Obviously, Phil Clark was he your roommate all the way through, or did you have anybody else? Uh, Cal Fairbank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Big farmer, Cal. Yeah. He, um, yeah. He put me in my place straight away. I mean, we sort of walked up to the room together, 
And we're, I mean, it's not, it's not like now where they get the separate rooms and they get the big fancy rooms and, and they get all this. We sort of walked into the room and we sort of looked at each other. Uh, and there were a big double bed and a single bed in the corner. And he just looked at me and went, you know, I was having that single bed, don't you? And I went, yeah, I just chucked my bag on it and went out. I thought, I'm not even having this discussion with you. Just sleep where you want. <laughs> yeah, I got him back though. I pissed under his pillow a couple of times. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you can have that. Yeah, he, had, he had big double beds, so I pissed on his bed a couple of times. That's what we did back in the day, innit? Yeah. <laughs> so, a year after, mate, you didn't get your test shirt. Papa New Guinea at Wigan. Do you remember that day? How did that uh, feel? Yeah, that, that panned out pretty good. Uh, that year went really well. I mean, I think Wayfield went well that year uh, and everything seemed to go good. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it were good. I mean, I got, I've got, um, I played against Papua New Guinea. I came off the bench and I got selected against France, but didn't, I didn't play. And I always, I always think that was sort of the turning point. I, if I think if I could have played at France and, and, and staked to claim, I, I like 17th man. I, if I'd have played there, I think I'd have gone on tour. Oh. I didn't get picked at the end of the year, and I, I were absolutely good. I've got to say the biggest disappointment ever, you know, f- for me, I was just abs- absolutely flummoxed. Couldn't work it out. And that was, I don't, I mean, you, you may remember this. Um, Wigan won the last 20 games. They signed Martin Afire, who seemed to score 10 tries every game. Yeah. They won the last 20 or 21 games, and they picked the entire Wigan team. I did. You know, players like Billy McGinty who hadn't even been in the squad. You know, no disrespect to players like that. I mean, I mean, they were, they were good players for Wigan. But, I mean, players like that just who hadn't been in the squad anywhere near the squad. Malcolm just picked the full... In fact, he picked the full team with the exception of a kid called Myers who played on the wing, I believe. David Myers? David Myers. Yeah, he was the only one not to get picked. So there were, there were a few people like me who, who sort of missed out. And, yeah, yeah, I've got to say... I, Good, absolutely good. And then to sort of make things worse, I got called up as a replacement and I was injured. But I was injured by that time and I couldn't go. So, yeah, it, it weren't great. You know, I've got to say that was sort of a difficult time. Do you keep much in memorabilia, Gary? No. You know, is it just no, not your uh, thing? No, um, I've got, a, um, I say I've got a few shirts. My wife's got a few shirts. Um, I've got a couple of Wakefield shirts, a Featherston shirt, a South Sydney shirt, a couple of Great Britain shirts, and they're, they're, they're away somewhere, but other than that, I haven't known. Interesting. We've spoken to a couple of people who love who love keeping the stuff. They've framed it. They, they don't keep all. It's in the loft, but I think I found that interesting in terms of, obviously, the GB test and everything as well. No, I, no you've, you've got your memories. You know, everyone's different. You know, if that's, if that's their thing, that's fine. Um... No, I, I, there's a few. We've got. I have got a few shirts somewhere. If you if you had to pin me out and ask me where that where they were now, I couldn't tell you because I've just moved out, so I'm not. I ain't got a clue where they are. I'm, I'm hoping they're still in this house somewhere. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I know my wife had a few, but other than that, no. Talking of memory, Price, 18th of October, 1992. Tell us about that day. And tell us about. Obviously, we had a bit of a busy busy time period around that time. Expect one as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, obviously uh, the Yorkshire Cup final um, against Sheffield, um, and then obviously Jay, I, my son Jacob were born on that day. So yeah, it was, it was kind of a busy old day. Um, I mean, but I mean stuff like that's fantastic. You know, to look back at, um, yeah, yeah, a fantastic day for us as a family. I'm going to say, obviously down at Ellen Road as well. Did you did you play the game and go afterwards, or was Jacob born before the game? How did it work out? Um, no, I played the game and went after afterwards. Um, 
I went sort of straight after the game. Uh, I got straight off. I mean, before the game, my wife went into labour and she, she had a sort of a particularly bad labour. You know, it was an hard labour. She, she'd, been, <laughs> she'd been at it for ages, bless her. Um, and I, I remember David ringing me up top of and just saying, how are you? So I'm fine. You know, you know, explain situation. So um, he come and pick me up, uh, took, me, took me to the game. You know, just had a chat to me on the way to the game. Um, you know, everything, obviously everything turned out good for Wakey. And then when I got back, I just missed Jacob's birth. Uh, but yeah, they, they were both both great. You know, Linda and Jacob when I got back. So yeah, fantastic. Good stuff, mate. What, what, do you remember anything specific about the game? Obviously, we've asked a couple of people about this, but like you mentioned before, it, it just flies by. Yes, yeah. Um, I remember very little about many games. You know, I've, I've, I've watched a couple of games back um, over the last... I won't say regular, but I've maybe watched about five or six games back since I retired. And there's massive chunks from you don't remember. I think because you get caught in the moment. It's not like you've forgotten or, you know, you, you things like that. You, you just get caught in the moment. You know, you, you you get caught up in something, you know, what's happening. I, I remember bits of it. I, I remember Nigel tearing them to pieces. Obviously, I remember scoring under, under the sticks. I remember the celebrations after. Um you know, some of them good, none of them, some of them not so goodly, but, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, it, the games like that, I, I thought on the day, we probably deserved to win the games, I think Sheffield will probably disagree with that, but I think we deserved it, because I thought we were very unlucky against Cass a couple of years earlier, I thought we should have won that game, and we were unlucky not to win that game, so, yeah, I think it was time for that team to win something. It was a good era for us as well, wasn't it? it that era, you know, it, Bellevue were occasionally we had sellouts. We, we, it was nicknamed the graveyard because we used to beat Leeds and Wigan quite regularly down there. Even though the, some, of, some of the games don't stand out, some of those memories of Pack Bellevue, do you remember those? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, we, we, I think we had a reputation as sort of if a, if, a, if a big team come to Bellevue and took us lightly, you know, they did it at the own pebble. Mm. You know, sort of Wigness, St. Ellen's. Wigan, Leeds. I mean, we used to beat Leeds regular at that time. We used to turn Leeds. Of course, Leeds, let's not forget Leeds. At, Leeds weren't the fast end they are now. No, but I mean, they still had world-class players in Schofield and Anley and players like that. But as a club, they weren't the sort of fast. The, well, maybe not now, but they have been, I should say, sorry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we used to often, often win them. As problem were beating the teams around us sometimes, you know, and, and just getting up for the games. Um, well, you know, and that was the thing. I, I once had something told to me by, I think it was, I think it was Phil Clark, and he says the sign of a good team is when they get up for a game with no need to get up for. He says anybody can get up for a game they've got to. He says, but it's the teams who get up for the games where there's no reason to get up for. And I think that's right. I think teams what can do that. I think a good t- a good team can get up at any occasion. I think at times we, we struggled with that. I think we just we we could go and beat whoever on the day, and then we. With due respect, with with lose to old KR or with lose to somebody else, so you know it was disappointing. He did exactly. I've got those stats here. You know, we actually beat Wigan, we beat Leeds, we beat Centellas, we beat Warrington, and then we lost to old KR and Halifax at home, who were the bottom yeah. two. And that's yeah. the that's the pattern we seem to have. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It did. It was <laughs> it was frustrating, wasn't it, at the time? I, I remember that as well. It was it was just really frustrating. Um, you know. To, to, to beat teams like that and then to, to lose, well, due respect to lose to Halifax and teams like that, we, should, we shouldn't have done that. You know, we, we, there's no way we should have done that. So, you know, it was disappointing. And 
Yeah, I think that defined us a little bit. You know, I think if if we'd have had that ability to beat the teams we should have done, I think that team that team would have been held with probably more regard. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, 92, 93, mate. We had a bit of a mini clear out. Um, a lot of a lot of us all moved on. A lot of the players moved on. What's your story, and how did you sort of end up at Featherston? Yeah, well, at that at that time things things weren't going great at Wakefield. I've got to say, um, you know, I, I got picked for the tour and that I was proper sulking over that. Um, I hadn't I hadn't sort of in all lessons I hadn't been playing well. Um, I'd, as I alluded to earlier, I'd picked up an injury at the back end of the season, which had stopped me going on the tour when I was selected, and that stopped me playing right sort of till I, I guess. I think the first game back I played for Wakefield that year was, I think went to Featherston in a cup match. And that was the first one I played in. I have I played for ages. Anyway, thing, things weren't going great and things weren't going great with soccer between me and David. And I, I, I was looking to get away at that time. And I was feeling a bit sorry for myself, you know, like you do, you, like a lot of players do, you know, which I, I'm fucking, you know, you can't sort of see at the time. And instead of looking in the mirror, you look for other excuses, don't you? And and the excuse is really looking back at you in the mirror. You know, you should just get your head down and crack on with it, really. But it's always easy to blame someone else, I guess. But that, that, that was the reason I left. I, I was just I think I saw it as I'd done my course at Wakefield. Did anybody else come in for you? Or were it feathers knocking on the door and you thought that was a good idea? I'll go there. Well, Dougie uh, Dougie Lawton set sort of set me up. Um, sort of <laughs> set me up and hung me out to dry at Leeds. <laughs> so I, I had a couple of meetings with Dougie um, and it, it looked for all money as though I was going to sign at Leeds and Dougie Lawton being Dougie Lawton. I sort of got to the point then where I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to Leeds and then, you know, he just stopped answering his phone and <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and by that time, you've sort of gone further at, at Wakefield than I could go. Um, and for this, I was lucky sort of Featherston came in who just been promoted, really. They, they, they'd just been promoted and they... They had a, um, an Australian coach called Steve Martin, and he signed me. Um, yeah, and um, I, 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 I did actually nearly sign with all of them, but I ended up at Featherston. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, yeah. So what's your highs and lows at Featherston? You've had two stints there, 93 to 95, 97, 98. What's your highs and lows for that place? The first two years I loved at Featherston. Uh, as I say, they had, a, they had a coach called Steve Martin, the Australian guy, and he was fantastic. I mean, Steve was such um, a thoughtful, intelligent coach. Um, I think I, at that time I was ready to be challenged in different ways. As I said, I'd lost my way at Wakefield a little bit. My form weren't great. You know, I could see, um, de- de- I mean, David wanted to get rid of me. He, he wanted me to go. I wanted to go. So it made sense, you know, for both parties. Wakefield did well out of the deal. I, I must sort of moved on. Um, but Steve Martin was such a such a guy. First thing he did was just tore me tore strips off me, tore me into pieces. Um, you know, just sent me for extra training. Sort of did everything which I, I guess I'd stopped doing at Wakefield. Um, and he he, he was he was a really good coach. But like like a lot of things, you know, his time at Featherston didn't last forever. And when when David. Uh, sorry, uh, when he when he left and Steve Martin left Featherston, that sort of all collapsed in as well. So that we were disappointed. It's it's amazing how decisions change clubs and change players' careers and things like that. It's it's, um, it's a difficult one, really. It's, you know, it's it is what it is. When I recently, 
when I researched your career, I thought I knew your career inside out, but there was a big gap in your Featherstone career. So when I looked into it a bit further, obviously Australia cropped up. Now I knew you played for South Sydney, but how long did you last there? How did Australia come along? Did you all go as a family? Did you stay there for a while? Yeah, well, all their best part of two years. Mm. Um, yeah, well, Steve Martin, who signed me for Featherstone, um, actually um, got me a club, got me South Sydney club. If you remember at the time, there was a there was a, a massive Super League war going on. Um, and the, over in Australia, the Super League and the ARL had fallen out big time and there were players coming all over. I mean, there were a load of Australian players shipped over to the Super League in England. And again, um, you know, there were, there were, the Super League over in England were meant to share the money out and they didn't. All they did were give it to all the rich clubs and they got all the money. All the, all the players at the big clubs got all the money, nobody else got any. And I, I just didn't think that were fair. So I, I signed to go over with the ARL and I loved my time at South. You know, it, it wasn't an easy time and South at that time weren't a great club as they are now. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, they weren't a bad club, but, you know, Australia is a terrific place and, uh, yeah, I had a while of time for, you know, the two seasons I were there nearly. Did your family settle as well? Where did you live when you were there? Uh, I lived in a place called Coogee, mm-hmm. which is sort of right on the coast, you know, just up on the eastern suburbs there. Uh, and, I went over with Linda, my wife, and Jacob, my son. We we only had one child at the time, um, and we had a we had a we had, we had a nice spot over there, and loved it. Yeah, absolutely loved it. I mean, I mean, one one thing I I found about Australia is, I mean, the the game's just quicker for obvious reasons. You look, it's no more physical and over here, and it's no more tougher. I mean, it's it's just faster. It's it's just faster, and they've they've got they had at that time just better athletes, you know. But other other than that, it's, it, 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 I've got nothing but sort of good things to say about Australia. You know, it's a, it's a good country and, and the way they do sport is fantastic over there. Brilliant. You played one NRL game. Do you remember it? I do. Yeah, against Manly. Yeah, yeah. I, I played against a few. It always says that on the record, but I did play a few. I played against North Queens, uh, uh, North Sydney. I played against Manly, as, uh, played against Parramatta as well, but it never says that on my record. So I played against a, a few teams, but... That's what it says on my cardboard. It's okay. You know, what what I did find, and, and this is this is something which the Super League have addressed, is I couldn't believe how short the season was in Australia. Because if you remember at that time, Lee, teams used to play 50 games a year over here. I mean, getting players fit, as you as you know, must have been for that amount of games just an absolute nightmare for you. You know, because you had cup ties, you had John Player cup ties, you had Yorkshire cup ties, you had Regal Trophy, you had Challenge Cup, you had the lead to play. You play sometimes play 45, 50 games a year. Over there, you play 20 odd games and that would be it from start to finish. So you pick an injury up for six, seven, eight weeks and bang, that's it. You've got half your season missing straight away. So it's that that's the thing I found. You know, the, the one of the things there is, you know, the, the, your time on the pitch is so precious. You know, it really is. How did you prefer it, Gary? Did you prefer that kind of short season where it's more about quality or did you prefer the stretched out ones where you got a lot more game time? No, the short one. Yeah, we had a doubt. You, I mean, that's one of the things the Super League has done into it is you, you've got to go for the quality. You know, I mean, this is one of the probably one of the things which the Super League is struggling with a little bit now. Um, you've got to have your best players playing your best players every week. I, I think that's a sort of a necessity. Um you know, it, some clubs aren't going to like that, but it's up to the clubs to live the standards. You know, not the not the not the other way around. I'm interested in your thoughts, Gary, on on the current. I won't say the state of Super League, but the current condition of, of Super League. What what do you think about it all? 
Uh, oh, where do you start with that? <laughs> There's a lot of things I don't agree with. I, I don't. I don't like how they keep changing the goalposts, changing the rules. They seem to do it to suit different people. There's the Super League Europe, then they're going back to the going with the championship teams, they're doing this, they're doing that. You, you've got to find the problem and you've got to stick with it. You know, you can't keep you can't keep changing around because you, you're messing around with clubs, you're messing around with people's futures, people's livelihoods. And if you know, if if we're gonna go a certain way, stick with it. You know, unless you've got something what sort of jumps out at you and say, yeah, that's a lot better. But it just seems to me as well, they just change their mind all the time. And I, I, I don't think um, I don't think it's fair. I think it's sort of the Super League want the, the so-called sort of bigger clubs to do well. And that, that, that that's an ideal scenario for them. Definitely. What about the head eye crack down? Um <laughs> you wouldn't last now, mate, would you? <laughs> no, it's I've got to say, I, I think it's I think it's really good cracking down on um, the head eyes. I think this is one of the few things rugby unions years ahead of us with. Um, you know, you look you look at some of the old games. You know where players got stiff armed and you know things happen to them. And you know, and uh, I mean, one of the silliest things I hear now is, is people saying, "Oh, it's it's you know it's been diluted the game, and uh, you know it's not as tough as it used to be." That's a load of cods, well. You know, it really is. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing good about having someone's elbow stuck in someone's face. You know, for a, you know, a 20 mile an hour of each collision. You know, and having the the cheekbone pushed to the other side of the face. There's nothing good about that whatsoever. It's, the, it's now the clubs and the players' responsibilities to teach the players that they can't attack the head, and they're the rules. And they've got they've got to be the rules because you, you can't you can't have what you've had in sport. You know, this is this is people's lives. This is this. The, when you finish rugby, you've got a long, a long time to live your life. And the fact that people have got no or a poor standard of life due to it isn't great. So I'm all for the crackdown on the eye and these people who, who stand in, on the terrace and shout, oh, it's diluted, it's not as good as this, it's not as good as that. No, I'm not one of them. I'm all, I'm all for stop attacking the head. You know, that in rugby league, learn to tackle properly. You know, there's a, there's a big guy out there, you know, there's, there's plenty of surface area to aim at. Quality words, I like it, Derek. And then after Australia, mate, you ended up back over at Wakefield now in the English Super League. How did that compare to kind of uh, your, your previous stint? Yeah, well, I mean, Wakefield, um, Wakefield was absolutely won the grand final against Featherston, um, which I mean, I was, <laughs> I, I played for Featherston in the grand final, which Wakefield won. Um, and I, I would, I guess, I was lucky in a lot of ways. Uh, a Wakefield coach at the time, Andy Kelly, had a massive clear out. I mean, again, Andy, a very shrewd, shrewd coach, very underrated coach, shrewd coach. He cleared out what we thought he brought in who we thought he could. And I love my time. When I come back to Wakefield, I've got to say, you know, we, we had some ups and downs, you know, the time, the Super League, but anybody who spent any time at Wakefield, you're always going to have ups and downs. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andy did a, ter a terrific job and, you know, there's a lot of credit must go to Andy for keeping us up that first year. You know, it, it was a great effort. You know, the recruitment, along with Steve Ferris, the recruitment were fantastic. You know, they brought Willie in, you know, players along that. They brought Kempy come to the club. And we stayed up quite a stroll, really. And it's just a shame we couldn't kick on from there because the, the groundwork had been put in for Wakefield to sort of move on from there. But what the job what Andy did were fantastic, Andy Kelly. And these young kids coming through, mate. Gareth Ellis, Ben Westwood, Danny Brophy, some some decent young lads there. 
well, some brilliant young players there. Yeah, I mean, without a shadow of doubt, I mean, I mean, most of them came through in the the in the same Colts team. I mean, and you know, you you, you take players as well. Probably, probably about nine or ten of them ended up playing professional football. You know, not all for Wakefield. You know, you throw Keith Mason into the mix. You know, players along that ilk, and it it was a terrific young team what come through. But that's what Wakefield need to do. That, that all Wakefield teams need junior players in the team. That's that's the way forward. There's always got to be Richard Slaters. There's always got to be Nigel Knights in the team. There's always got to be these things. Wakefield as a club, it's DNA. It's bringing the young players through right from the 60s. You know, the 50s, 60s. That is the part of the DNA of the club. And that's what Wakefield mustn't lose sight of. That they must bring young players through all the time. When we had the uh, last players dinner last year, mate, you were on stage with Galatelis and they spoke highly of uh, a conversation he had with you when he was coming through and you were winding down. Do you remember the conversation? I can, yeah. Yeah, I can. Um, I mean, Gareth's always been a deep thinker, a thoughtful, which, I mean, doesn't surprise people now looking at that. I mean, Gareth is a thoughtful guy. I mean, he thinks very deeply about the game. Um, and it had gone into the team like a lot of young lads do. And it done well, but then it, it sort of sort of plateaued, and it, it, it just dropped down a little bit. And he's and another lad coming to the team for him, and he, he was just sat there feeling a bit sorry for himself. And we, we, it, I mean, it would, I mean, it, it was it was nothing flashy, it was nothing um, out there. ordinary. I just would, would I just sat down at the side of him, and we just started chatting in general. Really, um, I can't remember what we're chatting about. Something probably totally different. Um, and I just said, oh, you, you, you know, what's up? And he said, I said, listen, I says, I think this is this is what happens, Gareth. I said, you know, young guys, guy, guys like yourself coming to the team, it's up to you now to get back to them levels. I says, and, you know, you've shown you're good enough to get in and do that without a shadow of a doubt. So now, you know, you, you've got to rediscover that form and you've got to get back in. And as soon as you do, I said, you will be back in that team without any shadow of a doubt. You're more than good enough to go in that, you know, like yourself. And that's sort of just where the conversation went. So I say, it was nothing massive. It, it was just Gareth reminding himself, me trying to remind Gareth how good he was, you know, and what he needed to do to get back into the team. And that was just basically it. It's funny what people remember, isn't it? Because he still remembers that. And he, he, he sort of told us the same story, which is uh, wonderful, really. Uh, the following season, season 2000, it just seemed a bit of a roller coaster season. Andy Kelly got sacked, checks wow. were bouncing, Bobby Goulding came in, Steve McNamara came in. Do you remember? Were you part of that turmoil? Yes. Yeah, the, I mean, I mean, I mean, you, you could write a book about that time, but nobody would believe you. <laughs> you know, it's it, the, the stories are so um, far-fetched. The things what happened on, on a daily basis, on an hourly, minutely basis, the things what happened, people wouldn't believe you. You know, the, we nearly went on strike. Um, we, we didn't get paid, you know. We, I, I, you'll remember Lee, but Jamie, you won't. We used to get paid by check, and what you used to do is you used to get your check from the club um, in an envelope with your pay slip. You used to take the check to the bank and put it in the bank. Well, they used to stamp the check, so they, we used to get the check, but to take it to the bank, it used to bounce. They used to give me it back with a stamp on, saying, "Sorry, there's no money in the account. Have it back." Well, the, the checks are only so big, aren't they? If you look at a check, it's only sort of like that. And my cheque got stamped that many times. It bounced so many times that I took it to the bank. She went, I'm sorry, I can't. You can't even present that now. You've got too many stamps on it. Yeah. And and that's that's just how it was. You know, the, you know every player who's there will have a different um, take on it. Some 
some different to others. It, from 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 my perspective, I, I were I thought we, we I thought we signed the sort of wrong type of player. I, I thought that the club got it completely wrong. Um, the year before, as, as we said, Andy had done a really good job, um, and kept Kempe. Kempe was the coach on the pitch. You know, Andy was the coach off the pitch. You know, and, and Kempe did such a good job. Uh, but what we did, we, we we just signed the wrong players. Oh, we, we didn't get the recruitment right, and the players who um, who were brought in just didn't fit into the system, or didn't fit into our system, or we didn't fit into their system, or we just had a massive lack of pace in the team, massive lack of pace, which we just conceded too many tries. We just massively couldn't we, we couldn't stop teams scoring against us, and that was the, the be all and end of it. We just had no pace in the team. Was that the same year uh, Willie Fortune told this story when everybody over a certain age was sent upstairs and everybody under a certain age was sent downstairs and all the upstairs lot were sacked? Was that, yeah, that, about that abso- yeah, absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. I've got to say, that's one of the, I talk, you know, you talk about um, the, you know, the good and the bad times. That's probably one of the, the worst um, things I've ever experienced. Um, we got called upstairs um, into the room and the, the red, the sort, the sort of split, the, the room was sort of split in half, the left and the right, and the, the soldier called the players in, they told us to, if you, if they called your name out, you sat on one side, if you called them out, you sat on the other side, and then the rest of them, I think if you're under 24, you was obliged to stay at the club, so they sent them home, they said, right, you lot can go home, you're staying regardless, they split the rest of us up into left and right side, um, and the guys on one side got sacked, and the guys on the other side, they said, we're going to offer your contracts, and that was as brutal as it was. So we just sat looking at each other. You know, I'd been friends with them guys for a long time. I'd been friends with, you know, sort of Steve Mack for a long time, Bobby Golding, you know, the, I mean, Pecky were there at the time. It was, it was absolutely brutal how it happened. You know, there was, there was no, um, there was nothing, there was nothing good about that. There was nothing nice about that. And I, I think, I think it's fair to say that broke friendships and the, the, the breaks in these friendships are still there. You know, the, the, that that broke a lot of things down between the players and it, it created such bad feeling um, because we was all in it together, you know, and, and, and the way they did that was just awful. And, you know, I, I, you know, without going too far into it, there's people there who I haven't spoke to since and probably will never speak to again and vice versa with them, you know, because they've got their point of view and it was just absolutely brutal, awful. Oh, wow. Interesting. Uh, I've heard different angles of that story, but that's interesting. Well, um, that's the truth. Yeah. That was the truth. Really? It, it was, Lee. You, you, can't, you can't dress that up. The, the, yeah. the way they did that was just, yeah, it was awful. Oh, God. Interesting. Following season, mate, Sunday the 16th of September 2001, you walked off the field for the last time. 351st grade games in 14 seasons. Did you know it was time to retire? Was your body telling you, or was it your mind? Was your head? No, I, I knew. I knew it was time to go. Um, as, I, as I said earlier, I'd, I'd never really had any injuries. You know, where I'd, I'd been out for twelve months or eighteen months, but I'd sustained a lot of. Uh, I had a trouble, a lot of trouble with my knees. Excuse me, and I'd started having a lot of trouble with my back because I, I was of the generation what was just thrown into a gym. And with a load of heavy weights and just say lift as many weights as you can. And nobody ever taught you how to lift them. So, you know, I'm of that generation now where I guess everyone's got 
<laughs> a bad back, um, bad knees. You, you look at you look how it's now. People are taught how to live weights correctly. The generation I I was in, we never we never were. So when I when I finished, my back and my knees were just shot to pieces. I, I had nothing left in them at all, uh, and I knew that. I knew that as well, um, and then I kind of knew that. Um, sort of, my game were based around me getting around the field and being fit. And I know I know I couldn't train long enough to be fit, so I could. When I finished, I didn't want to play at any level. Once I'd finished in Super League, I'd finished. And what did you do? Thirty-three years old. Did you have a career in front of you after that? No, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I, I, I had a friend who got the. Uh, the Workington job, Mosswood. Uh, he was a player coach up there, and I'd known Martin here from Street House, but he, he played all his year, years at Sheffield and Cass. And he, he was quite adamant to wanted me to go up to Workington and play um, to the point where I only had to go up on a Saturday and train with him on Saturday and play Sunday. And I just couldn't, you know. And <laughs> he asked me what I wanted. You know, I just, <laughs> he said, I mean, it's the old adage, he says, What do you want to come to a Workington? I just said, An helicopter. I said, there's not a chance I'm coming up there. You know, I, I just I just didn't want to go. I, kn- I knew my body were finished, Jamie. I, I, you know, I'd been round since I was 17, so I, I knew it was time to go. Um, but you don't know what you're going to do. And, you know, I, I see these I see these boys now who's known nothing during their life other than rugby, and I can see why they get lost. You know, and the, the Rugby League cares does such a good job with these fellas now. You know, and trying to help them and point them in the right direction. I think clubs have a responsibility, you know, which they seem to be taking on now. But my saving grace was um, when I when I left school, it was still part time sport. So I, I ended up uh, doing an apprenticeship as an electrician, which I still have, which which sort of uh, stood me in good tread, really. So you know, I, I kind of drifted back into that because I had nothing else. And I've done that ever since. So yeah, that's so I've sort of moved on with that. And you know, you, you start back as an electrician, and then you sort of go labour, you know, labour only. Then you end up having your own firm, and yeah, that's, I guess that's where I am now, really. Was coaching you ever you ever looked upon? Well, I, I had a go at coaching, but I, I soon discovered I weren't great at it. Um, like all players, you think you know best. You know, you you, you think you know better than all you know all the others. You, you, I think when you're a player, you look at it like it's a fantasy football team and you just think you can pick 13 players, stick it in and, you know, everything's going to go right. But there's so much more to uh, coaching than that. I mean, my last year at Wakefield, I was the assistant coach under John Arvin, um, which, you know, at the end of the year, I, I thought we did quite well to stay up that year, taking into account the, um, the points deductions and everything, what we've gone through with the salary cap and everything. John, John got sort of sacked. Um, they let me go, which at the time I was so bitter about, you know, I, I were, you know, I'd, I'd given everything for the club, you know, I'd given, I'd give the club everything. And, but like all players do, they think that, you know, the, you know, they, they deserve to stay, but at the end of the day, you don't, you know, it's, that's one of the things you just a custodian in the shirt. And that's what a player has to realise and he has to understand. You, I mean, if you're lucky enough to, to play a professional sport, especially for the team you support and the, the city you live in, all you have is a custodian of that shirt. And when you let it go, somebody else will pick it up and they'll run with it. And then it becomes their shirt and then so on. And, and that's just what happens. That's that's just the way life goes. But yeah, I, I, I tried me look at Featherstone um, 
and I, I had a couple of seasons there. My first season went really well. My second season, not so well. And do you know what? I, I just don't think I was quite thick-skinned enough. And I think that's the top and bottom of it. I, I just, I just weren't thick-skinned enough. And I didn't, I didn't probably want it as much as I needed to. And I think that was the long and short of it, really. Do you look back fondly on your rugby league career? Yeah, yeah. I think any, I think, I think anybody who can sort of support a club and then play all those years for Wakefield, and in between going to Featherstone in Australia, um, you know. You're getting paid to play the sport you love is fantastic, you know. And anyone anyone who says different is a strange, strange type of person. So, yeah, I, I sort of start, started off started off as a Wakefield fan, and I'll sort of finish off as a Wakefield fan. But in between, we're just superb, and I, I loved every minute of it. I mean, what what's not to love if you play rugby? Getting paid to train and play, and you know, it's absolutely fantastic, and it, it's just a brilliant lifestyle which the players should realise how lucky they are. Unfortunately, sometimes you don't, but you actually are so lucky. Good stuff. I'm just going to just go back to that Featherstone coaching job. Um, that first year, I was by your side. I was your physio for a year. Yeah. I, was winding, I was winding down my career. But we got one game off grand final, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, everything. The first year, we'd gone really well, Lee, haven't we? Um, yeah. Everything had gone good. Um, and... It just didn't progress as I wanted it to. I had a bit of a fallout with the club over the close season. And the, the reason I sort of fell out with the club is I was finding it too hard to, to have a full-time job and coach Featherston. So I, I asked Featherston if I could have um, a Monday afternoon off work to sort of go and do my preparation for the week. So, and I just said, listen, what I'd like to do, I'd like to sort of just cover my costs of having the Monday afternoon off work. And then when the players come into training Monday slash Tuesday, I've got everything ready for them and I'm not mushing around. And they just wouldn't have any of it. Wouldn't have any of it. And I kind of knew then that um, my time at Featherstone then were limited. And yeah, it, yeah, and it was. It was. I, I, yeah. That's, that's what I've got written down here. Just, just at the end here, from my point of view, you had some great ideas but you didn't get supported on it and you had minimal no. time to put those ideas in place. So after yeah. 18 months, obviously you got a bit better. I also remember your family getting abused a bit at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. It's not great. Is it? As I say, that, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about probably I'm not thick skinned enough. Yeah. Um, that kind of affected me, which I mean, it probably affect most people. Mm. Um, you know, some of the, some of the abuse, you know, it's quite vile really. Um, you know, but it is what it is, you know, and unfortunately, you know, my, my son and, and my wife sort of caught the sharp end of the, the team losing. Why, I'm not sure. Just probably mm -hmm. easy targets, I guess, but it's, yeah, it, it's not nice. It's not nice. I did, remember, I did remember you saying, though, within a few weeks, you actually broke, well, we actually broke two records. We got the most points ever by a Featherson team. We beat Loch Lane by 96 nil. And then we got we lost to Lee by 70 odd at home. Yeah. And I remember you turning around and said I broke two records in two weeks. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, we, we we spoke early saying doing I was talking to Jamie early saying, Do you remember much about the games you don't? I remember loads about when you're coaching. Yeah. You remember you remember little things. You know, um, Richard Blakely, I think, gave away four interception four interception tries against Lee. Yeah. Yeah. And he wanted to come off and I won't let him come off. Yeah. His head was so down. It, you know, because it, it lost, 
you know, he did four interceptions away. Well, three or four anyway. And they wanted to come off and I said, there's not a chance. I said, you're staying on. I said, there's not a chance you're coming off this pitch. You, you know, you're responsible for a lot of this. You can stay on and try and do some good now. And he didn't, but he stayed on. <laughs> he didn't do any good, but he stayed on. <laughs> I remember another story. But did you remember John Bunyan, who was a centre at Oldham? Yes. Do you remember the name? We went to Oldham and, and Richard Yulov sat down in the corner and his opposite number was John Bunyan. And he sort of said, oh, the hell's John Bunyan? And within half an hour, he'd run four tries through him. And you you came in and you didn't, I've never seen you so mad and so angry, but I was, you were half sniggering in the corner of the changing rooms because it was a, a funny moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I found it hard. Um, I found it hard at Featherstone because at that time, um, I'd gone from being full-time at Wakefield and even being, you know, Wakefield not being sort of the best Super League team in the world, but you're full-time and you, you set yourself certain standards. And when I, when I decided to coach, you, you try to relay them standards. And I found it really hard from a full-time to go in part-time. And then even worse, where I couldn't even spend part-time. You know, it, it, it's an impossible job. And you, what you do, you lose you lose track of things. But when, when, you, when you start off coaching... You think you think right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to imply all these little things, and all these little things will make a big thing. And you lose track of all the little things, and it's just so hard, you know. The the guys who do it and and just stick to it, you know. I, I take my hat off to them, you know, because it's an it's it's such a, a thankless job. It's, you know, there's only one team can win a cup. There's only one team can get promoted, and you know, all the rest just end up getting abused at Oldham. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Back to your career, mate. Just as we start winding down your playing career, who was the most talented player you played alongside at Trinity? Um, good question, Lee. Good question. Um, I've got to say, from a skill point of view, David Topless, probably Steve Norton. Mm -hmm. But from a, I've got to say, a special mention to Nigel Wright. I mean, that night, I mean, Nigel, unfortunately, obviously with injuries and what have you. Uh, but and I mean, Nigel were really, really skillful. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a shame how Nigel's career panned out for him, and you know, nobody to wish that for him. But he's a very skillful player. And like from your career, if you could relive one more day, one more day from your rugby league career, three hundred and fifty odd games, fourteen years, is there a day that you wouldn't mind reliving again? Yeah. I think we played Bradford in quarter-final of Cup um, and Neil Summers scored a try in the corner and he put, I, st I still say to this day he put the, the ball down about two yards short and I can't remember the name of the referee I think it was John Oldsworth he gave the try and it yeah. cost us the game yeah. and that year I thought that was our year I thought that year you know I thought that's us and we, we, we got we got beaten heavily by Bradford and I always thought that year was our year and uh, I spoke to Neil Summers after it later I played at Featherstone with him and he readily admitted he put the ball down about four yards short, but he did knock it on and bounce it about four yards to the line. So it's not like he got everything wrong. Also. But that wasn't like him, he got everything wrong anyway. No. Yeah, I remember that. Shocker, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, wasn't it just, yeah. 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 So probably that. Uh, what's life like now, mate? Yeah, I understand you're a 50-something grandfather. Um, how's life these days? Life's fantastic. Yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm just struggling a bit at the moment. I've got a... a a problem with a trap nerve down my back, which is driving me mad. So I still like to get out and um, just do a little bit of running. I did the Wakefield 10K not so long back for the hospice. Uh, and I like to get out on my bike and just do some, some bits of fitness. 
Um, so that, that's sort of curving at the moment, but life's great. You know, um, you know, I'm, I won't say I'm very fortunate, but I'm, I'm in a position now where, you know, I've, I've got, we've got most things, I mean, myself and Linda, you know, we both kids have sort of left home now. So we've sort of moved into an house, what just suits to us. And uh, yeah, we, we've got a fantastic life. Brilliant. I've known you for a long time, mate, but in that in this hour and a half, I've probably known you learned more about you than in than in the sort of 30, 40 years I've actually known you as a person. So it's been brilliant talking to you. I've sort of you've got a real passion for rugby league and a real passion for Wakefield Trinity. And it's uh, it's just great in hearing the story face to face all these years on. Yeah, thanks. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, Jamie, thanks. It's been it's been fantastic. It's uh, as I said. I don't, I don't get down to watch Wakefield as much as I can because I'm a massive Man United fan. So I, I love watching United. And I, I go there. It's something which me and my son still do. We go together and watch. He, he goes away and watches them a lot more than me. Uh, but obviously, these times aren't great at the moment. But it, it does limit the time I can watch rugby because I've got a season ticket there, you see. So I don't want to give up my ticket too much. But now, the, hopefully, I can't wait for the season to finish this year. And I've got a couple of home games left and then I'll be down there every week. So, yeah, still love going down to Wakefield. Catching up with, you know, you know, seeing yourself the other week were fantastic and just catching up with everyone else and seeing your dad. I haven't seen your dad for years and years, so it was lovely catching up with him. Um, and it's just great to go down and, and just see people and just chat away in general in taste. It's fantastic. It is, and our past players are sort of getting back together again. It's something sort of we've pushed in the last few years. Gary Spencer's president of the past players, and it's things like that where we're trying to get people like yourself, Fish, Righty, Gary Spencer, Billy Conway, Johnny Tay, Belly. We're trying to get them all back, and it's working, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, I mean, over the years, Wakefield have sort of got a. a they tried it a couple of times, but they've got a sort of a, not a bad reputation. But the, the, the club was an hard club. Mm. One thing at Wakefield is very few people leave Wakefield on good terms or the own terms in the past yeah. mm. and which creates uh, quite a bit of bad feeling but you know you, you, you know sometimes you just got to get by that you know and you get a little bit older and you know you see things from a different point of view and a, a different perspective and as I say as, as I spoke about earlier players just must realise that they're a, they're just the custodian of the shirt they own the shirt they're just saving the shirt for the next person as the person before you saved it for you and that's the way you've got you've got to deal it. You've got to understand that. You know, players will come, players will go, but there'll always be a Wakefield and there'll always be somebody wearing that Wakefield number 12 or 11 or 13, always. And that's the way it should be. Superb words to end on there, Pricey. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 26 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms worldwide. Follow us on Facebook under the Wakefield Trinity Heritage banner and Twitter at WT Heritage Pod for further information. Massive thank you to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you to Gary Price, who will be joining us again later on in the week. We're filming just after this. His best 13 ever for Wakefield Trinity. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Tris Gamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable.